0: 2 Peter chapter 1, we're looking at verses 5 through 8. We're looking at the seven balance points of our lives, our Christian lives, and should be our life in general. We're now at balance point number six. We have one more to go. We'll bring this series uh, to a culmination next Sunday. But today we speak of brotherly affection. William Penn (coughs) founded the province of Pennsylvania, the British North American colony that became eventually the state of Pennsylvania the democratic principles he set forth, served as an inspiration for the United States Constitution. It was Penn who chose Philadelphia as the name for his new city in the province of Pennsylvania. Now, the name that he gave this city was a combination of two Greek words, the word phileo, which means love, and the word adelphos, which means uh, brother. And so it became the city of brotherly love and to this day it's known as the city of brotherly love and so today's balance point number six is philadelphia or brotherly affection brotherly love second peter chapter one and verse five for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being uh, ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I found several places in the text uh, uh, today and several places in the New Testament that tell us more of what it means to have brotherly affection for one another, to have true Christian love. And I'm going to give you three words, and they all start with C. And the first word is absolutely a must if we're going to have brotherly affection, and that is the word consecration. Any godly characteristic in our lives must begin with that which is given from God. God. Any godly thing, any good thing within us must begin with the one who is the only one who is good, and that is God. Just as we cannot serve God in the flesh, we cannot balance our Christian lives without the leadership, the empowering, and the mimicking of whatever God's qualities that we can. To be better in our walk is to be more like God. We have to be consecrated to God in order to serve Him. Now again, consecration means set aside, excuse me, (coughs) set apart or set aside for special service. Our close walk with God and being set apart by Him for special service yields two important matters when it comes to consecration as it relates (coughs) to brotherly affection. First of all, To be consecrated, to love out of a heart of consecration, is to have pure motivation. First Peter, would you turn my microphone off just a minute? I'm going to cough big time, okay? Man, I don't know where that came from. My wife has been sick all week, and uh, she has had a cold, and she's had a nagging cough, and she has slept at the other end of the house. Uh, all week long. And I have been healthy. Last night, she decided to return to her place in our bedroom. And she woke up this morning, and now I'm coughing. We've shared our lives together, haven't we, dear? And so it continues. Pure motivation is a part of consecration. First Peter 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly <coughs> from a pure heart. Here's the way the King James Version puts it. It says, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying <coughs> the truth <coughs> through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart <coughs> fervently. Now, both of these renderings are very understandable and good in translation. This verse tells us to be obedient to the truth. And again, both of these uh, renderings emphasize the matter of of holy living. What does that mean? How do we go about holy living in our life? How do we go about Having brotherly love in our lives, being consecrated from a pure motivation with holy living. Here's the way it begins. You're going to be a little surprised at this. It begins with a repentance of sin. That's the way that it starts. Repentance of sin is the initial step in having brotherly love. Repentance of sin is the initial step in purifying our soul. Now, being born again is not a process. We are not in the process of being born again. Born, being born again is an experience. Now, are there uh, ingredients or elements of being born again? Absolutely, there are. <clears throat> but it's an experience with key points in the course of finding our salvation. And repentance is a key point in the matter of, of uh, uh, repentance, or repentance is a key point in the matter <clears throat> of salvation. Now, what is repentance? Repentance. Repentance is that point in our life when we realize that we are wrong and God is right. That's that's the simplicity of it. When we realize that we're wrong and God is right, then we have come to the place of repentance. Now, when we turn from our way, turning to Him, then we have repented. So repentance is realizing that we're wrong, God is right, turning to the way of God, okay? Okay. It's not just saying, I was wrong. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. It's saying and being wrong, and then turning to that which is right, to God's way. It is the point at which we say, I will no longer go down this path anymore. I will turn and I will be saved. It's the prodigal son moment when you get up from eating with the hog, so to speak, and you decide to return to the father repentance of sin, being born again, salvation, is a point in time. It's not a process to follow, but it is a point in time that is necessary. And let me say this to you, that every time that I preach, whether I'm preaching here uh, or somewhere else, or if people are watching online or listening uh, uh, listening by podcast or whatever it may be, any time that I preach, there is always someone listening who is uncertain that they have come to that point of repentance in their lives. There's always someone listening who is uncertain of eternal life. There's always someone listening who's saying, I'm just not sure that I'm saved. You may be that person this morning. Could I say this to you? At some point, you must come to the place of saying, you know what? I don't want to be like this anymore. I'm wrong to be like this and God is right. And I want to turn to the Lord, and I want to be saved. I want to know that I'm saved. I want to live as though I'm saved. I want to have the assurance of heaven that saved people have. I want to turn from my ways and turn to God and be saved. Listen very carefully at the close of this service today. We're going to give an invitation. When I give this invitation, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you to think about whether or not you have truly come to that place of repentance in your life. You've come to that place of saying, I know that I'm wrong, and I know that I must trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know God is right, <clears throat> and I must turn to Him. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are at all. If, if you are not certain of eternal life, if you're not certain that you're saved, that you're born again, then today is the day of salvation. You say, well, I'm, I'm embarrassed to be saved. Uh, people think that I'm already saved. Could I just tell you this, that it's better for you to deal with whatever you call embarrassment or whatever it might be for a, a, a matter of 30 seconds to a minute when you step out and, and you walk forward than to deal for in an, with an eternity where the unrepentant sinner goes and that's to a place of, called hell. It's a lake of fire. It's a terrible, terrible thing. It's far better for you to make a one-minute decision to humble yourself as a child and respond to God than to, for the rest of eternity, uh, have to deal with the fact that you never repented. It's a huge, huge thing. You say, well, I'm not sure whether or not I really ought to get that done. Here's what I'll ask you to do. If you'll just think about it, and if you'll come forward this morning when we give the invitation, if you'll come forward, I I will have somebody share with you from the Scripture what it means to know for sure that you've been born again. And if it turns out that you're not born again, then today you can meet Jesus Christ. You can repent. You can turn, and you can turn from, and you can turn to the Lord. It's extremely important. Our subject, however, is brotherly affection. Now, here's the reason that I talked to you about having a pure heart, because that verse talked about it, and because you can't have brotherly affection until you're one of the brethren, until you're in the family. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and 22 teaches us that repentance of sin, but it also teaches this. It teaches purity of heart. Having a pure heart Is not a building project. You don't build a pure heart and put it on display and say, "Wow, look at there! There's my pure heart." Uh, When I was a boy, my my brother—I can't remember the circumstances of it—but my brother got a model of a heart. That it was a plastic model, like you'd put together a a model car. It was a plastic model of a heart. And I remember my brother putting that heart together, and it, it sat on a little plastic stand, and there he had his completed plastic heart on the plastic stand. Some people think that's the way you build a pure heart, that you say, all right, now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build me a heart that is absolutely pure. It's not going to have any bad thoughts. It's not going to have any bad actions. It's not going to have any bad reactions. I'm going to build me a plastic heart. I'm going to set it on display. And whenever the preacher talks about people with a pure heart, I'm going to raise my hand and say, I'm the one that's got the pure heart. I'm the one that you've been talking about and and you wondered where they were. It's me. I have a pure heart. Listen very carefully to me. A pure heart is not a building project. It is a maintenance project. Having a pure heart is not something you can build. It's only something that God can put within you. And it is a maintenance issue. To be born again is to find yourself lost before God in need of salvation and finding Jesus Christ and turning your heart and life over to Him, and that gives you the opportunity to have a pure heart. But as we said, that is a point in time, yet holy living and having a pure heart, that is a maintenance, that is a journey. Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Here's the way to have a, a pure heart. It's to have <clears throat> scheduled fuel intake and maintenance checks. That's the way to have a pure heart. Scheduled fuel and maintenance checks. You know, several years ago, about four years ago, I was admitted to the hospital down in Miami, Florida. And I won't go into the particulars of it, but uh, I thought that I was having a heart attack. And uh, I was, I, it, it was really something. It really was. Turns out that I was having a spike a serious spike in my blood pressure and a serious drop in my heart rate. I don't remember all the particulars of it. My doctor's here today, but <clears throat> and I'm I'm sure he doesn't remember all the particulars of it either, but but I, I had a really high uh, blood pressure and a really low heart rate. I do remember that my heart rate was thirty five. That's pretty low. And so <clears throat> I I was hurting real bad and I, I went to the uh, to the emergency room. As it turned out, there wasn't anything Uh, And and they kept me in coronary care for a couple of days. There wasn't anything that they found to be wrong with me other than that spike in blood pressure and that drop in heart rate. My brother-in-law in uh, in Nashville said this to me, made as much sense as anything else. He said, Randy, what happened is that your check engine light came on. And he said, now you're going to have to do some regular maintenance on your blood pressure that you weren't doing before. And that's true and my doctor has me doing regular maintenance on my blood pressure. Let me, let me say this, that's not the only thing relating to my heart for which there needs to be regular maintenance. I need to have regular fuel intake for my soul, my spiritual heart. I need to have regular maintenance on my heart, the way that I live. I, I must have a purity of heart if I'm going to have brotherly affection. The saved are the saved, but to live the life God wants us to live, there must be some effort to purify our hearts. And then it's possible for us to have this, a love for God's family. That's when it's possible for us to have a love for the family of God. Let's read that verse again that I read from 1 Peter 1, 22 having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, there are a couple of words in that verse that's worth noting. The first word, and keep that verse up there if you will, the first word is the word sincere. Sincere is a very interesting word. Here's what sincere means. Sincere literally means without wax. Now that doesn't sound too cool, but this, here's what it means. In biblical times, when there was to be certain sculptures made, statues made, and so forth, the artist would, he would chisel out the, the uh, sculpture, and hopefully the sculpture would be perfect, that they would not have developed not even one crack in the sculpture. It would be absolutely perfect. However, it didn't always happen like that. And so here's what often would happen. They would see that there would be a crack in the rock that had developed because of the various pressure points and the thinning of the rock. There'd be a a crack. Now, they couldn't really avoid that. You could have some that that didn't have cracks, but it was a rare thing. So here's what they did. They took wax and they filled in the cracks. And <clears throat> those, those cracks would blend in and they would have the sculpture, and the sculpture would be uh, a sculpture, and it would be what it's supposed to look like, but it wasn't sincere. <clears throat> it wasn't without wax. There was wax in it. There was that which was almost the real thing in it but it was mimicking the real thing now this is not the way we ought to love our brothers and sisters we we should we should not love them and just kind of fill in uh, those places where we really don't love them we should love them sincerely without wax. The way that we should love is from a pure heart, and we should love sincerely. Here's the other word. The other word is that we should love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, I love the word earnest in the Bible. The word earnest means stretched out, okay? Stretched out. I'm not a very tall guy. I'm kind of an average height guy. I used to be six feet tall. Uh, I'm not anymore. I've they told me as uh, when I was younger that you'd shrink, and I, I have. I'm not, I'm not six feet tall anymore, but I have extraordinarily long arms. My sleeve length, <clears throat> this sleeve that I'm wearing that you can't see on this side, but you can on this side. Let me pull it out here so you can see it. <clears throat> My sleeve length is 36. That's a long arm. That's, uh, I have a sleeve length of 36. Now, If I reach out the span of my arms, counting my chest, and I go reach out as far as I can reach from the tip out here to the tip out here, out at the very outer edges, you know what that is? That is the point of being stretched out. That is the most earnest point that I have. That's as far as I can reach. It's like taking a rubber band. And you, you pull a rubber band and you pull it and put, you know the thing's going to pop. But when is it going to pop? And you pull it and pull it and, and as it gets closer to popping, you kind of put it out like this because you don't want that thing to pop in your face and pow, it finally pops. Well, that point just before it popped, that point just before it got to the end, that was the most earnest point. That was the place <clears throat> at which it was most earnest earnest it was absolutely stretched out getting all that you can get out of something that's what it is to be earnest it's like taking the the shampoo bottle when it's almost finished and turning it upside down in the shower so that the last little bit runs to the bottom and you're able to use all of the shampoo Now, the Bible says that's the way that we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love one another sincerely, and we're supposed to love one another with all that we can possibly muster to love one another. Uh, Our pure, sincere love should be expressed to the fullest. This is a brotherly love, affection, born out of a consecration and a purity of motive. And we can love like this, too, because of having the benefit of perfect instruction. That is to say that we know exactly how we ought to love one another. Yeah, I can preach this message to you, and I'm talking about being stretched out and, and <clears throat> sincere and all that, but the truth is if you're born again and if you're in the Word of God, you already know how you ought to love your brothers. Here's what 1 Thessalonians 4 t- tells us in, ch- in verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourself <clears throat> have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do, <clears throat> to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that <clears throat> you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. When our hearts live in tune with God, that is when we're really in tune with God, then there's no need for explanation of brotherly love. It's like having driven your car. You know, you drive your car so much that you know when something's wrong, or you should know. You should know when something is not right in your car because you drive it so much, and there's a, a feel for it, there's a familiarity with it. Now, this implies to me that a believer who does not understand and live a love for the brethren is not really walking close enough to God, because when we walk close enough to God, we understand what it is to have that love for the brethren. Well, let me move on. The first word in having brotherly affection is the word consecration. The second word is one you would expect. That's the word compassion. You expect brotherly affection to contain compassion, in Hebrews chapter 13 it gives us some particulars of as how we should pursue the compassion of brotherly affection. Verse 1 says, "Let brotherly affection continue." That means diligence. We should be diligent. Have you been in a situation where you felt like you had worn out your welcome? You ever been in a situation like that? Have have you experienced what it means to have somebody else wear out their welcome? What was it that people say guest and and fish are similar in that they both start to stink after three days? Have have you ever had that experience of somebody else wearing out their welcome? We read in Scripture the instruction to not be weary in well-doing, but that's not always easy. Sometimes well-doing gets a little bit old, especially if there's not a real appreciation for it. The first word of instruction is to let brotherly love continue. That means to let it live on and persist. The the question is worth asking, how do you manifest brotherly love or compassion in your life, and how does it persist? Compassion, brotherly love, requires diligence. We have to be diligent. We have to work at it. Earlier, I talked about Jan having a cold and, and did I get the cold from her and so on. Now, Jan and I have been married. Let's see, Jan. Um, in September, it will be 44 years, correct? In September, it will be 44 years. And the, the most wonderful thing about the love that Jan and I have for each other is that it has just fallen into place. <laughs> I mean, we are both so easy to live with we are, we are both, I mean, we always acquiesce to the other one. Well, yes, dear, no, please, please, whatever you want to do. We, it's, it's been like that our whole life. It's been amazing how much that I have given to her needs and she has given to my needs, and it's just been effortless. People have talked to us about, would you like to go to a marriage retreat? Ha, 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 No. Ours is perfect. Now could I tell you that what I just told you is full of wax. It's got a lot of stuff in it. The truth is that there is an effort. You must be diligent to love one another. You've got to work at it. It's not going to just fall into place. You've got to work at it. Here's another thing regarding love. Not only must there be diligence in that compassion, but there must be diversity. You have to have a diversity in it. Now we go on to Hebrews 13 to see how this persistent compassion should be applied. Verse two, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison and those, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. True compassion is shown when we reach beyond those uh, who can do something for us and reach to those who can do nothing for us. There are a lot of people who are kind to work an angle. Most of you know that Robert Kraft is, is uh, going to... Um, to uh, be a head coach in, in atlanta he 's a very large school in Atlanta, and he 's been so successful and I, I wish him nothing but great things. Kind of interesting. I, I got the other day uh, now that that Robert and it 's been public and so forth. and you can imagine there 's just a lot of people that show an interest you know and, and, and so on and I got a friend request from oddly enough a football coach that I have known for a long, long time who's never sent me a friend request before and sent me a friend request the other day. Now you say, Pastor Ray, that guy just wants to be your friend, I'm sure, and and our football coach. But uh, <clears throat> the, the reality is that brotherly love doesn't even hint at an angle. Brotherly love is just brotherly love. It, it's 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 being kind to do the work of god that is compassion and there's a diversity to that compassion have have uh have you ever spent much time in in the intensive care waiting room this afternoon later on Jan and I'll go by the the uh, intensive care the coronary care waiting room on the third floor at uh, TMH we'll go over there and see uh, Virginia and, and so on <clears throat> it's a funny thing about the waiting room and in a uh, In an intensive care ward unit, there's there is a genuine love for one another in there, and there's a diversity of it. In an intensive care ward, the room has a lot of different people, but they can't do enough for each other. And and the distinctions of race and class they just melt away. The father of a child who is in Intensive care is not a black man. He's a father of a child. And the, the garbage man loves his wife as much as a university professor loves his wife. Because they have an, a diversity. They have a, a true love in there. There's a, a diversity in the intensive care. The, the world changes. And vanity and pretense vanishes. And the universe is focused on the doctor's next report. If only it'll show improvement. Everybody knows that loving someone else is what life is all about in the intensive care waiting room. But when we get out of there, we start fighting for the parking place again. We start checking this and we start checking that. We're looking at the balance point of brotherly affection, and we're looking at three words that'll help us to understand that. The first was consecration. The second is compassion. And the last one, oddly enough, is competition. So interesting, isn't it, to include this? Let's go back to Romans 12 and verse 9. Let love be genuine without wax. Abhor that which is evil. Hold fast to that which is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now look at here. Outdo one another in showing honor. We can finish this by understanding three things. That true love has a sense of propriety goes back to what we said about love being sincere love should be genuine in fact uh, love is genuine there's no such thing as disingenuous love you can't not really love somebody if you love somebody You, you understand what i'm saying there because as soon as you not really love them then you don't really love them you can pretend to love but you can't love with pretense Love has to be appropriate, proper, genuine, real. Not only that, it's got to be personal. We we are to love one another with a Philadelphia love, with a true personal love. Latin American theologian Rene Padilla remembers an early encounter with the British Christian uh, leader, John Stott, who is no longer living but was a very famous uh, Christian leader. Here's what Padilla said, on the previous night we had arrived in Bariloche, Argentina in the middle of heavy rain. The street was muddy, and as a result, by the time we got to the room that had been assigned to us, our shoes were covered with mud. In the morning as I woke up, I heard the sound of a brush. John was busy brushing my shoes. John, I exclaimed full of surprise, what are you doing? My dear Rene, he responded, Jesus taught us to wash each other's feet. You do not need for me to wash your feet, but I can brush your shoes. Real love is personal. It's a personal thing. You truly love somebody. You're truly happy for them. Jan and I, and it was mainly her idea, um, did something at Christmas this year with our children. We had our Christmas and and all of that, but we gave them $100 in an envelope. And the $100 in the envelope was not for themselves, but was for somebody else. And what we said to them was, Find somebody and some way that this hundred dollars will be of help to them. Do something for someone else through this. Do something personal. Do something meaningful through this. And when Jan explained that and gave the envelopes out, she became very tearful. She became very choked up. Because loving people is personal true love is personal not only is it personal it should be persistent romans 12 10 says that we outdo one another in showing honor for those of you who go to romania in june you'll see this firsthand more than once you'll have someone open the door for you and will not go through the door until you go through the door now it may not happen every time but you'll have it happen more than once you'll be walking up to a a door and and the person may be walking beside you and they will they will stop at the door and they will push the door open and they will stand there for you to come through i've learned my lesson i i mean forever i would say no go ahead oh no and no please no no and they will, they will hold that door open, and they will persist in that. They will just continue in that. Over and over, you'll notice how they defer to you. They are just far more thoughtful in some of the ways that they have in their Christian walk than maybe some of our ways. They literally are trying to outdo one another in brotherly love. The balance point of brotherly affection is not about our emotional makeup it's about our spiritual walk it's something taught by god himself to the believer it was martin luther king who once said we have flown like we have flown the air like birds we have swam the sea like fishes but have yet to learn the simple act of walking the earth like brothers second peter 1:5 Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection.